0: The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to the news in just a minute, but if you haven't seen Lady Ballers from The Daily Wire yet, you're missing out on the most triggering comedy of the year. It's the biggest launch in Daily Wire history you can watch exclusively at Daily Wire Plus. If you're not a member, luckily for you, with code COACH, you can become a part of the Daily Wire Plus team and save 50 bucks on new annual memberships. Well, there are a lot of threats facing America these days. One is the threat of fiscal collapse. Mid to long term, America's economic system is increasingly unsustainable. We are currently running a $33 trillion national debt. Our actual national debt, including unfunded liabilities, runs at least another $80 trillion over the next 75 years. Virtually all of that is driven by Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security shortfalls. This means sooner or later, we're going to have to radically increase taxes, cut benefits, or inflate our own currency. Those are the only options available. Another threat is the threat of foreign aggression. The United States is lucky. We're surrounded by ocean on one side, ocean on the other side, Mexicans to the south and Canadians to the north. But that does not mean that we are invulnerable. As the world becomes a more and more dangerous place as American power recedes, we will feel that everywhere from our pocketbook to our military budget. American hegemony has created a global economy that has paid off for the American consumers in extraordinary ways that can easily be reversed. And indicators are that it will be. A third threat is the threat of internal moral collapse. Indeed, this threat is the chief factor behind the first two threats. As our communities die, our local institutions lose credibility and loyalty, and we stop having kids, our economy turns upside down. The government grows, but the population that has to fund it doesn't. Government spending grows, but the population supporting that government spending does not. As the post-American future takes hold at home, it will similarly take hold abroad, with our enemies ready to fill that gap. That last threat is the truly frightening one. It's the reason for America's polarized politics. We used to share basic values, particularly at the local level. Now those values are falling away, replaced with hatred and rage, largely at Christians and white Americans. Take, for example, James Carville. Carville is a Clintonian political voice. In fact, he was the lead political strategist for the Clintons. He's a person who has routinely urged the Democratic Party to move away from its most extreme, radical, woke positions understanding that they are electoral poison. But now he has apparently decided that the Republican Party in general is a threat to the United States, that it is what he calls a Christian nationalist party. Now, what does he mean by that term? Apparently, he doesn't mean that many Republicans prefer to see a revitalized church at the center of American life, a proposition which not only is reasonable, it's a proposition with which I wholeheartedly agree as an Orthodox Jew. Americans need more church. Now, that's not what James Carville means. He means the Republican Party is, in the words of far left Daily Coast founder, Marcos Melitzis, an American Taliban. Here was Carville on Bill Maher show on Friday night.
1: Mike Johnson and what he believes is one of the greatest threats we have today to the United States. When I, 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 I promise you, I know these people. Well, you're talking about Christian nationalism. Absolutely. This is a, a bigger <clears throat> threat than Al-Qaeda. Up to this country, they, and let me tell you something, they have Speaker of the House, they got probably at least two Supreme Court justices, maybe more, right? Don't kid yourself, and, and people in the press have no idea who this guy is, how he was formed, what the threat is, and this is a fundamental threat to the United States, it is a fundamental they don't believe in a the Constitution, they'll tell you that, he, that White Johnson himself says, what is democracy but, but two wolves and a lamb having lunch?
0: Now, what he's saying here is truly nutty. In Carville's views, he says, two Supreme Court justices and the Speaker of the House are leading the charge for a Christian theocracy. By the way, that quote from Mike Johnson, it is not a revocation of Republicanism, meaning a representative democracy. It is a revocation of the idea that you can simply, through majority vote, decide all issues. But according to James Carville, that is a Christian theocracy. And again, he says there are two Supreme Court justices who are on board with Christian theocracy. I wonder who those would be. Maybe Amy Coney Barrett, Clarence Thomas. He doesn't make it clear. And, says James Carville, they are a bigger threat than the terrorist group that committed 9-11. And by that, he really means than radical Islam in general. Again, this is wild stuff. We'll get to more of this in just one second first. Pure Talk has he covered for the holidays with a free Moto 5G phone. No gimmicks, no trade-in necessary. Just sign up for PureTalk's Unlimited Talk, Unlimited Text, 15 gigs of data. You can get all of this for just $35. bucks. you will get the Moto G 5G phone for free. But here's the deal. You need to move fast because these phones are almost gone. So if your current phone is on life support, upgrade for free with PureTalk. The new Moto G 5G boasts a two-day battery life, an exceptional quad-pixel camera, and a whole lot more. PureTalk gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. So make that switch today. Just go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro, get this exclusive offer and select the plan that's right for your family. Remember, Pure Talk gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. So make that switch today. That's puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Claim your free Moto G 5G phone with a qualifying plan. Again, that is puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Go check them out right now. I've been using PureTalk myself a couple of years now. The coverage is great. You're going to love it. And again, you get that special deal, puretalk.com slash Shapiro to get started. Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bolin & Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull & Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bolin & Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable, Bolin & Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their a luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bolin & Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial. we we'll get to more on this in just one second. First, we all know the first thing we do when we get home from work is change out of those work clothes and get into the comfortable loungewear. Well, luckily for me, I have Tommy John because as I slip into something more comfortable, my Tommy John loungewear set, I'm immediately enveloped in a cocoon of supreme softness and unparalleled comfort. Not only is their loungewear cozy enough to use as sleepwear, it's stylish enough to wear for a quick stroll to the park with my kids. And you won't look like you just rolled out of bed, even if you may have done just that. Tommy John uses luxuriously soft tri-blend fabrics with flexible four-way stretch. Plus, their fabric is non-pilling, meaning it doesn't leave behind lint balls or fuzz. And guys, you might be wondering how they can get any better. Good news. Their underwear, amazing. I mean, I've been using them for years, literally throughout all my other pairs of underwear. Incredibly durable. Their fabric moves with you. It's just great stuff. Plus, Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee protects your most valuable asset. So shop at Tommy John. Get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. Save 20% for a limited time at TommyJohn.com slash Ben. That's TommyJohn.com slash Ben. See site for details. Now, James Carville isn't the only Democratic voice who sees traditional Republicans as the enemy. Carville says it's all about the Christian nationalism that is inherent in the Republican Party. But that's leaving aside the woker side of the party. That would be represented by grifter extraordinaire Ibram X. Kendi. Ibram X. Kendi, you'll recall, is the author of How to Be Anti-Racist. His entire premise is that if you do not mirror the prescriptions of Ibram X. Kendi, then you are in fact a racist. And he says that his fellow Americans are generally white supremacists.
1: I don't think uh, white uh, people worldwide have really reckoned with how much their own personal identity Is shaped by constructions of whiteness. And and how much um, that construction of whiteness uh, prevents uh, white people from uh, connecting to humanity. In other words, uh, recognizing that uh, when you when you recognize that you are part and parcel of humanity. In other words,
0: you're not over humanity. Okay, so white people are all emblematic of white supremacy. They are over other members of humanity. And this, according to Max Kennedy and his ilk, this is represented by the Republican Party in the United States. This apparently will be the Democratic Party's campaign in 2024. Republicans are Christian theocrats and white supremacists. According to them, the entire Republican Party is dominated by a desire for white Christian fascism or something. The response, presumably, would be an alliance of the secularists and people of color. Not shockingly, that is precisely the coalition the Democratic Party seems to be wooing, running on abortion and quote-unquote anti-racism. They are pushing forward this agenda with ugly scare tactics. That is why the Atlantic magazine is dedicating its first issue of 2024 to suggesting that any vote for Donald Trump in 2024 is a vote for a fascist regime. According to official Obama jockstrap sniffer, Jeffrey Goldberg, editor of that rag, quote, I encourage you to read all of the articles in this special issue carefully, though perhaps not in one sitting for reasons of mental hygiene. Our team of brilliant writers makes convincingly dispositive case that both Trump and Trumpism pose an existential threat to America and to the ideas that animate it, unquote. Yes, according to these folks, if you vote for Trump, you have handed away America's future. This sort of messaging is also being promoted by Republicans experiencing strange new respect. That is the respect you receive when suddenly you start mimicking Democratic lines, that'd be people like Liz Cheney, who's mirroring the doom mongering of the left. Here she was yesterday. Say Donald Trump, if he is reelected, it will be the end of the republic. What do you mean? He's told us what he will do. People who say, well, if he's elected, it's not that dangerous because we have all of these checks and balances. Don't fully understand the extent to which the Republicans in Congress today um, have been co-opted. One of the things that we see happening today is a sort of a a sleepwalking into a dictatorship in the United States. Sleepwalking into dictatorship, fascism, white supremacy, Christian nationalism, all the buzzwords. And all of it is going to materialize if Donald Trump becomes president in 2024. Now, ironically, this sort of alarmism is one of the very biggest root threats to the country. Countries in which both sides start speaking about how the next election is the last election, about how their political opponents, if they win, mean the end of the country, are in serious, serious trouble. That sort of scaremongering gets out votes because everybody freaks out, but it also sets the House on fire in the name of saving the House. Listen, I want Joe Biden to lose in 2024. I think he's a terrible president doing dangerous things that will be incredibly difficult to rectify. But the end of America is not, in fact, nigh in 2024. Not unless, ironically, everyone keeps saying it is the closer both sides draw to the abyss. The more each party says the next election is the last election, the more that fantasy draws closer to reality. If you have two members of a couple and both of them keep saying, the next thing you do, I'm going to divorce you, divorce becomes significantly more likely. When you do the same thing inside of a country, the same thing is true. The country comes closer and closer to falling apart. When you see your neighbors on the right as people who are white supremacists, Christian nationalists, fascists, it makes it very difficult to live with those people. Conversely, if you're on the right and you see people who vote Democrat as such a threat to the nature of the very republic that we are part of, that if Joe Biden were to win the next election, it would be the last election, which, by the way, no one believes. Donald Trump said the same thing in 2020 and then Joe Biden won. And guess what? He's running again in 2024. Once both sides decide that the next election is the last election, the reality of that threat starts to materialize. And that, in fact, is a true threat to the Republic. It is a serious, serious problem. Now, speaking of the 2024 election, Joe Biden is, in fact, in dire trouble. The current polling is really, really bad for Joe Biden right now. Again, there was no point during the 2012 race in which Barack Obama seriously trailed Mitt Romney. There was no point in the 2020 race in which Donald Trump had a serious lead on Joe Biden. And in this particular race, Donald Trump does have a material lead against Joe Biden. And things are only going to get worse for Biden because everything is pretty much baked into the cake with regard to Trump. This is why you're seeing the language with regard to Trump get more and more heated. It's very hard to add new information to the Trump system. Trump is such as I, I mean, this is true since 2016. He is a mud monster. The more mud you throw on him, the more it looks like mud. And then you throw more mud and he's still covered in mud. That means that even were he to be convicted of a crime, there'd be a brief spike in terms of people outraged, and then it would immediately get absorbed into the rest of the mud monster and everything would go away. That is not true with Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been made to look very incompetent. Joe Biden has been made to look very bad, largely because of his own performance. I mean, in reality, Joe Biden's sagging economy has been quite terrible for him, especially among the groups he needs to vote for him. According to the Wall Street Journal, the pandemic made Americans richer across every racial, ethnic, and income group, but not equally. Home values shot up, with fewer opportunities to spend money during lockdowns, many people paid down debt and boosted savings. Between 2019 and 2021, the median household's net worth increased 30%. The wealth of white and Asian households increased the most in total dollars during those years. But for many Black and Hispanic families, the boost wasn't enough to lift them fully out of debt. One in four Black households and one in seven Hispanic households had zero wealth at the end of 2021. They managed to make a dent in their debt. But those families are likely under greater strain now that many of the factors that boosted wealth during the pandemic have reversed. In other words, the economy has been particularly bad for Black and Hispanic Americans. Those are exactly the sorts of people that the Democratic Party is counting on. What's more, the economy is, in fact, starting to cool. Inflation is coming down. But so, too, is the stock market. The stock market is starting to mediate because, of course, as inflation comes down, prices on bonds are going up, which means prices on stocks are comparatively less good. You're starting to see the unemployment stats creeping up so that that sort of sweet spot, even if we find it, it's going to mean an increase in unemployment generated by bad economic plans from the Biden administration and radical overspending. All of that is leading up to the election in which Joe Biden is going to be 80 some years old, obviously not doing well physically, obviously not all there mentally, plus hit with more corruption scandals. We'll get to that in just one second. First. It is the season of giving. What better way to express love and appreciation than by presenting the timeless and exquisite gift of fine pearl jewelry. At the Pearl Source, you get the highest quality pearl jewelry at up to 70% off retail prices. The Pearl Source cuts out the middlemen by eliminating those crazy jewelry store markups and selling directly to you, the consumer. You can order from the comfort of your home. You'll find the largest selection of pearls available anywhere. Each jewelry piece is custom-made specifically for you. The Pearl Source, let me choose a custom set of pearls for my wife. She loves them. They make beautiful, beautiful stuff. Plus, I know the family that runs the Pearl Source. Wonderful family, great people. It's time to start shopping for the holiday season. Don't wait until it's too late. The Pearl Source offers fast and free two day shipping on every single order. Everything comes beautifully packaged in an elegant jewelry box, so it's ready to be given as a gift. If you're not sure they'll love the gift, the Pearl Source comes with the no hassle 60 day money back guarantee with free return shipping, so it's risk free. You have a gift that can be passed down for generations. For a limited time, listeners to my show can take 20% off your entire order. Don't wait until it's too late to do that holiday shopping. Go to thepearlsource.com, enter promo code BEN at checkout for 20% off your entire order. If you want fine pearl jewelry at the best prices online, go straight to the source with the Pearl Source. That's thepearlsource.com, enter promo code BEN at checkout. Okay, so if Joe Biden is, is vulnerable, because again, people, he's not a mud monster. People perceive him in a certain way. That perception can be shattered. Hillary had the same exact problem in 2016. The right hated her, but it wasn't just that the right hated her. It's that the more she got hit, the worse she looked. The same is true for Joe Biden. So yesterday, James Comer, who's the head of the House Oversight Committee, he came out with the announcement that Joe Biden did, in fact, receive payments from an organization that was run by Hunter Biden, a fund that was essentially funded by foreign sources and belonged to Hunter Biden. Here was James Comer explaining.
1: President Joe Biden claimed there was an absolute wall between his official government duties and his family's influence peddling schemes. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed his family didn't receive money from China. This was a lie. President Joe Biden claimed he never spoke to his son, Hunter Biden, about the Biden's family's shady business dealings. This was a lie. Now, Hunter Biden's legal team and the White House's media allies claim Hunter's corporate entities never made payments directly to Joe Biden. We can officially add this latest talking point to the list of lies. Today, the House Oversight Committee is releasing subpoenaed bank records that show Hunter Biden's business entity, a Wasco PC, made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden. This wasn't a payment from Hunter Biden's personal account but an account for his corporation that received payments from China and other shady corners of the world.
0: Okay, so this is Comer's claim. And the claim happens to be true. There was money that passed between this particular law firm, Owasco PC, which had received payments from a Chinese state-linked company and other foreign companies to Joe Biden. There's some direct monthly payments. Now, were they large payments? They weren't. The three payments of $1,380 that occurred in September, October, November 2018 were apparently for a 2018 Ford Raptor truck that Biden had purchased that Hunter Biden was using, according to an email verified by a Washington Post forensic analysis. Hunter Biden's attorney, Abby Lowell, said, quote, their chairman Comer goes again, reheating what is old as new to try to revive his sham of an investigation. The truth is that Hunter's father helped him when he was struggling financially due to his addiction and could not secure credit to finance a truck. When Hunter was able to, he paid his father back and took over the payments himself. Um, so what? That doesn't actually debunk the charge. The charge that Comer is making is that money that was gotten, ill-gotten gains from foreign sources were used to reimburse Joe Biden. It doesn't matter the size of the payments. That's not what matters. The matter is that this is now a documented instance of money passing from Chinese linked firms to Hunter Biden and then to Joe Biden. It doesn't have to be that Joe Biden received this as like an on-top form of enrichment just because he gave a loan to his son and then his son paid back the loan using money from ill-gotten gains doesn't mean that Joe Biden has not benefited from ill-gotten gains. If I give you a loan and you go out and you rob a bank and then you pay me back that loan, I still benefited. I gave you the loan. You owe me money. And so if you give me the money, I have benefited, obviously. A spokesperson for the Oversight Committee used the fact that the payments came from one of Hunter Biden's accounts to suggest something more nefarious, quote, there is now a pattern of members of the Biden family using their bank accounts that have been funded by Chinese and other foreign entities to send money to Joe Biden. Based on witness testimony, Biden knew and participated in his family's influence peddling schemes. The checks and payments we've uncovered reveal Joe Biden benefited from them. But the Washington Post says that this is a, an oversold story. They're misrepresenting the committee's findings and all the rest. Now, again, I, I don't even understand what they're trying to debunk here. The thing that they're trying to debunk Is pretty obviously true, meaning that Joe Biden did receive money from Hunter Biden's accounts, and those accounts were, in fact, getting money from foreign sources. The size of the of the payment doesn't really matter. Joe Biden has suggested he never received money from any of these relationships. First, he suggested that Hunter had never done anything wrong. That turned out to be obviously untrue. Then he suggested that he had no knowledge of Hunter ever having done anything wrong, and that obviously was untrue. Then he suggested that he was not involved in any way in his son's business. That obviously was untrue. Then it was that he wasn't in business with his son. That's not clear. And then it was that he received no money from his son, from ill-gotten gains. And that, obviously, is not true. In fact, Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked yesterday, world's worst press secretary, about these payments, and uh, she simply ended the press conference.
1: The White House has said repeatedly that the president and his son were never in business together. They've said that repeatedly also in this room. Um, according to bank records obtained by the House Oversight Committee, though, uh, one of Hunter Biden's businesses, Osawa PC set up direct payments to the president? Uh, Did the president accept payment? And why would there be such an arrangement if they were never in business together or if there was a wall of separation, as the president has previously said? So I have to be uh, clear with you. I I have not seen that report, so I would have to refer you to my colleagues over at the White House Counsel's office on that particular question. All right, everyone. See some of you in Boston or on Wednesday. Thanks, everybody. Catch
0: you later. Bye. Again, none of this is going to benefit Joe Biden. His record on the economy is weak. His personal foibles are obvious to everyone. And the more the media keep trying to talk past them, the more everybody notices them. There is a reason that Joe Biden is not going to end up debating Donald Trump in this election cycle. And it is because he actually cannot be on the same stage as Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a very alive 77-year-old and Joe Biden is a very not alive 81-year-old at this point in time, or will be by the time the election happens. In one second, we'll get to Joe Biden's foreign policy record Finally, the perfect gift for somebody who has everything. A gift that will reach eternity. What could be more important? Preborn gives this gift 200 times every day, rescuing babies whose lives are in peril. These babies' lives are precious and beautiful. Their heart begins to form a conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound, and by six weeks, eyes are forming. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. See, moms have been lied to all over the country. They have been told that what's growing inside them is not, in fact, a child, let alone their child. It is just a big nothing. But ultrasound disabuses them of that notion by introducing them to their children long before the kids are born. For just 28 bucks, you can sponsor an ultrasound and introduce a mom to her baby, which doubles that baby's chance at life. Right now, through a matching grant, your gift saves twice as many babies. Please give the gift of life. Have your donation matched today by dialing pound 250 saying keyword baby. That is pound 250 baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash ben. That is preborn dot com slash Ben or dial pound 250 and say keyword baby to get started saving lives today. okay meanwhile, the Biden administration foreign policy right now, there are several issues on foreign policy that are threatening to Biden's reelect efforts. One of them is obviously Ukraine. This was the great moral war that Joe Biden got behind very early on, and it wasn't immoral for the United States to support Ukraine in preventing Russia from taking over the entire country. All the isolationists out there who are like, well, Ukraine provoked Russia into it. Let's assume for a second that you're totally right. Does that mean that Russia now gets to completely ingest Ukraine? Is that the actual solution? Is that Russia gets to ingest Ukraine and put itself on the borders of NATO, by the way? Would that be like a smart solution? Or does it make sense that you provide enough aid for Ukraine to actually be able to repel that invasion and then recognize what the realities are on the ground, which is that Russia has significant buildup in Donbass, in Crimea, and that short of going to direct war with Russia, which nobody wants. The final lines of demarcation were pretty obvious by like April, May, June of 2022. And yet Joe Biden never made clear what exactly his goals were in Ukraine. Instead, they just kept saying things like as long as it takes, whatever the Ukrainians want. Well, the problem is that the Ukrainians had never even articulated a goal other than the complete liberation of Donbass and Crimea. And then the United States was not willing to provide the weaponry that would actually be necessary, like the F-16s, that would be necessary in order to actually achieve air superiority, for example, in those particular regions. They'd not been given the ammunition and armaments necessary to actually make that sort of thing effective. And so hundreds of thousands of people have been dying on both sides of this particular war in pursuit of moving a line that has not moved. This has turned into World War I trench warfare, essentially. And yet, the White House is now proclaiming that if this thing turns into a stalemate, which it already is, then obviously that'll be because of some shortcoming in funding. Now, it's pretty obvious all along what should have happened here. Henry Kissinger spelled it out again last year. It was an unpopular point of view, but it happened to be correct. He basically said that the United States was going to have to make clear to the Ukrainians what the solution was namely, we'll provide you enough aid that you guys are not invaded again and that you can defend yourselves against future invasion. We'll provide you some sort of defense guarantee. Also, You're probably not going to enter NATO because if you enter NATO, then that is obviously going to project aggression against the Russians. You're not going to be formally admitted to the EU, at least not right now. And also, Russia is going to basically maintain the lines that they gained under President Obama, by the way, in 2014 when they invaded Russia, when they invaded Crimea and the Donbass. And then the United States was going to have to make that side deal with Putin and go to Zelensky and the Ukrainians and basically cram it down on them and say, listen, We're the ones who are signing the checks. And that's the way this deal is going to go. Why? Not because that's bad for Ukraine or Zelensky, but because it's good for Ukraine or Zelensky. Because Zelensky at this point cannot go back to his own people and tell them, I'm not taking Donbass. I'm not taking Crimea. He obviously has every interest in saying that he's going to take both of those things, but it's not really a plausible solution. And so instead, because the Biden administration did not have the stones to simply go and negotiate that deal and then give Zelensky the ability to rip on Biden and say, listen, I wanted more, but Biden forced it on me because Biden wasn't willing to take that hit. Instead, Biden is going to take the entire hit, which is going to be a consistent feeling of stalemate with no off ramp anywhere in here. And he's going to be the one who pays the political price for that. So for his part, Biden and the White House, they are now trying to project all responsibility for that stalemate, not on their own failure to spell out a strategy in the first place or to recognize reality on the ground when it materialized. I mean, again, the United States tried to provide the armament material necessary for a major winter offensive. From Ukraine against Russia, and it just never broke through in any serious way. Instead, they are now trying to project their own failures onto Congress for not wanting to extend aid. Now, will Congress end up extending aid? Yes, Congress will end up extending aid to the extent necessary that Ukraine will not fall to the Russians. That is a thing that the United States will do. There's a large support, even in Republican circles, for at least that much. Even Republicans don't want to see Kiev fall to the Russians, at least the vast majority of them. But what the White House is now saying is that unless you continue to sort of grant blank checks as the White House uses in its discretion, then you are somehow helping Putin. So National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, he had a presser yesterday in which he pointed out that Ukraine would run out of resources by the end of the year.
2: On Ukraine, as you've all seen, earlier today, OMB Director Shalanda Young sent a letter to congressional leaders, which Karine was just referencing, explaining that without congressional action, the administration will run out of resources by the end of the year to procure more weapons and equipment for Ukraine and to provide equipment from U.S. military stocks without impacting our own military readiness.
0: So Speaker of the House Johnson responded. He said the Biden administration has failed to substantively address any of my conference's legitimate concerns about the lack of a clear strategy in Ukraine, a path to resolving the conflict or a plan for adequately ensuring accountability for aid provided by American taxpayers. House Republicans have resolved that any national security supplemental package must begin with our own border. And again, there will be some sort of package deal that ends up signed here, mainly because Joe Biden and the Democrats keep vetoing each independent part of this bill. But the White House, instead of spelling out what their actual plan here is, instead, they're suggesting that if you don't support the kind of funding they want, you are helping out Putin, which, again, is not going to be a particularly strong argument. Are you saying that any member of Congress who votes against aid to Ukraine is voting for Putin?
2: I believe that any member of Congress who does not support funding for Ukraine is voting for an outcome that will make it easier for Putin to prevail. That is, a vote against supporting Ukraine is a vote to improve Putin's strategic position. That's just an inescapable reality. That's not speaking to someone's motive, why they chose to vote against it. That's just speaking to the outcome of their
0: vote. Well, I mean, it happens to be true that if Ukraine were to collapse to the Russians, of course, that helps Vladimir Putin. But The question is, how do you come to an agreement on what exactly the United States should be doing here? The New York Times reports that the Democratic-led Senate is preparing to vote Wednesday on more than $61 billion in Ukraine-focused assistance as part of a $106 billion national security package that would also fund Israel's war effort in Gaza. But apparently, the White House is now trying to pressure GOP lawmakers to abandon border security concerns. So the Republicans are, are, are aiming for some sort of border security package attached to all of this, and Democrats are saying no. So now who is against the aid? Again, if this is a battle of poison pills, that's a pretty significant poison pill you're throwing in there. Republicans are saying, how about some border security? And Democrats are saying, no, why would you say no? And by the way, it's not as though this administration has laid forth a cohesive strategy with regard to Ukraine. The Washington Post admits as much, quote, miscalculations, divisions, marked offensive planning by U.S. Ukraine. Apparently, A meeting in Brussels less than two weeks into the campaign illustrates how a counteroffensive born in optimism has failed to deliver its expected punch, generating friction and second guessing between Washington and Kyiv and raising deeper questions about Ukraine's ability to retake decisive amounts of territory. As winter approaches and the front lines freeze into place, Ukraine's most senior military officials acknowledge the war has reached a stalemate. This examination of the lead up to Ukraine's counteroffensive is based on interviews with more than 30 senior officials from Ukraine, the United States and European nations. And it shows that there was a gap between what the U.S. and Ukraine thought were actually possible. So, for example, U.S. military officials were confident a mechanized frontal attack on Russian lines was feasible with the troops and weapons Ukraine had. The simulations concluded that Kyiv's forces, in the best case, could reach the Sea of Azov and cut off Russian troops in the south in 60 to 90 days. But apparently that never happened. Ukrainians didn't want to do that. So there was a gap in strategic planning between the United States and Ukraine. There's no off-ramp And then the idea is that unless you give the funding, the White House is sort of asking for that you are anti-Ukraine. How about you spell out a plan, guys? But again, Joe Biden has boxed himself in here because he has spelled, there is no off-ramp. What looks like a victory for 2024 for Ukraine? Absolutely unclear at this point. Meanwhile, victory is well within grasp for America's ally Israel against Hamas. And meanwhile, the the White House is sort of futzing around over there. So when it comes to Ukraine, they're like, gung-ho, all in, let's do this thing, unstoppable aid. No plan. Unstoppable Eight, No victory. No, unst- keep that money pouring in or you love Putin. And then on the Israel issue, Israel actually has the military capacity to finish off Hamas. Israel has the military capacity to make the Gaza Strip, at the very least, quiescent with regard to anti-terrorism. And this is where the United States is putting its anti-focus. This is where they're like, no, 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 you got to stop short. Why the gap? Why the gap? I mean, it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of foreign policy is where the gap comes from. Russia is a nuclear armed, heavily weaponized, large power. They are dug in when it comes to Donbass and the Crimea. There is there is no rationale for any sort of logic that Ukraine is going to take both those areas. That's absolutely clear. The situation on the ground is the situation on the ground. Meanwhile, the reason that the Biden administration keeps futzing around with regard to the Middle East Is because they're still under the John Kerry misimpression that Palestinians are central to Middle East peace, which is a lie. It was debunked completely by the Abraham Accords. In fact, it is specifically because that notion was exploded by the Abraham Accords and by the burgeoning relationship between Israel and Saudi Arabia that Hamas tried to throw a wrench into the gears with their attack on October 7th. So, what is the Biden administration doing? They're immediately doing Hamas's work by calling for concessions from Israel to the Palestinians and telling Israel to stop short. What is the rationale for that other than a complete dunderheaded foreign policy? Now, the problem for Biden is it's going to be pretty obvious that if you stop Israel from winning a cohesive military victory in the Gaza Strip, that's not going to look great either. I understand he's trying to please his radical base, and Democrats are filled with radicals who hate Israel. I get it. But. That's not going to look like a a victory to the American people who are going to punish America. They're going to punish whatever American regime is in place, whatever administration is in place for military losses. Americans don't like lost wars. They're not a big fan. And so far, Joe Biden is presiding over a lost war in Afghanistan. He's presiding over a stalemate that he refuses to declare a stalemate in Ukraine. And he's presiding over what could be a clear military victory for Israel, but is being hamstrung by by the American State Department and radicals in the Democratic Party. We'll get to that momentarily. First, The holidays not only allow us to spend time with family, they are a reminder of how important our responsibility is to protect them. That includes planning to secure their future. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Their licensed agents work for you, not the insurance companies. That means you can trust their guidance because they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another. There are no added fees. Your personal information is, in fact, kept private. Very important for my family that we have life insurance. You know, it's a pain in the butt. But it's something you need to do. But here's the thing. Policy Genius can make it not a pain in the butt and they can take it off your to-do list. It is super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Since life insurance typically gets more expensive as we age, now would be the time to buy. Policy Genius makes that process so much easier. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policy starting at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars in coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Your family deserves peace of mind. Life insurance policy through Policy Genius can help give them that peace of mind. Go to policygenius.com Shapiro. Click the link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com Shapiro. Also, as you all know, we made our first ever full feature comedy, Lady Ballers, just for you. It's a hilarious movie that calls out what most Americans already know, The insane, ridiculous idea that men should be competing with women. You made the movie a hit. It's official. Lady Ballers is now the most popular streaming movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an incredible audience score of 96%, thousands of reviews. Lady Ballers is also one of the most popular movies on IMDb. We didn't just want you to see it. We wanted you to love it. We want you to share it with friends and family over the holidays. If you haven't watched the most triggering comedy of the decade, what exactly are you waiting for? Lady Ballers is now streaming exclusively at Daily Wire Plus. Maybe you still don't have a Daily Wire Plus membership. Let us help you out with that, too. Right now, get 50 bucks off Daily Wire Plus annual subscriptions with code COACH at dailywire.com slash subscribe. With your Daily Wire Plus annual membership, you'll instantly have access to watch our very first full-length feature comedy, Lady Ballers. We're just getting started with comedy at Daily Wire. Our new animated comedy series from Adam Carolla, Mr. Bertram, is coming early 2024. You'll be the first to see it with your Daily Wire Plus annual membership. It's got stars like Roseanne and Patrick Warburton and also Megyn Kelly, like tons of Tons of great people. And if you're not in the mood for comedy, The Daily Wire's highly anticipated series, The Pendragon Cycle, inspired by the renowned works of acclaimed Christian novelist Stephen Lawhead, is coming in 2024. We're bringing one of the most timeless stories of all time to life with a unique retelling of the Arthurian legend. But most importantly, it's your chance to join us in the battle to take back culture and build a future we all want to see. Get 50 bucks off your Daily Wire plus annual subscription with code COACH at dailywire.com slash subscribe. Now, speaking of the Israel-Hamas war, this would be a great opportunity for Joe Biden to, quote-unquote, win a victory. That victory would be Israel completely destroying Hamas, a despised terrorist organization labeled as such by pretty much every Western power. Hamas is, they're absolutely horrific. In fact, every day, brings news of more of their atrocities, including the fact that they apparently drugged the hostages they were returning to Israel so that with roofies, they literally roofied them so that they would look as though they were happier or calmer when they were released from hostage captivity back to the Israelis. In fact, the State Department yesterday announced that Hamas is not turning over a bunch of young women who are still hostages because they don't want those young women talking about what they did to them.
2: One of the reasons they don't want to turn women over that they've been holding hostage and the reason this pause fell apart is they don't want those women to be able to talk about what happened to them during their time in custody.
0: Now, one of the things that's been happening inside the administration is a bit of a gap between the State Department, which is shockingly, shockingly pro-Israel in many of these ways, and the Pentagon, which is shockingly pro-Israel, at least John Kirby is, and then some of the higher ups, the, the, the people at the National Security Administration, for example, so NSA Sullivan, was asked about why Hamas was not turning over these women, and he said, "We're not going to speculate," which is, you know, completely at odds with what the State Department spokesperson just said there. Why is Hamas refusing to release the civilian women? I'm not going to
2: speculate on that. Only to say that they haven't done it, and um, only to say we're gravely concerned about that. But I'm not going to speculate as
0: to their reasoning. Again, one of the things that the administration has been doing is waffling and wavering, which is amazing because when, when it came to Ukraine, there was no waffling, no wavering, no nothing, despite no actual end of conflict that, that was projected or expected or articulated. Here, it's pretty obvious what the goal is, and the administration is working to obfuscate that goal. Not only that, the administration is working really hard not to tick off its progressive left-wing base on this issue. And the somehow mistaken belief that in order to win over its left wing and there, and thus win the presidency, they have to throw Israel under the bus, which of course is ridiculous because by polling data, most Americans are much more supportive of Israel than, for example, Hamas. So if the administration played it the other way and they said Hamas has to go, Hamas is evil, Hamas committed mass rape, Hamas committed mass murder, Israel has to go in and do what it has to do and we're going to worry about what happens on the other end afterward. This is a moral fight. If the administration were to say something like that in the same way that they say it about Ukraine, that's a victory Israel would actually win. That's what's truly amazing about this. Meanwhile, you have Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday. She was asked about Pramila Jayapal, who's the head of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. You'll recall yesterday, we played a clip of her explaining that there needed to be balance with regard to how people talked about rape by Hamas. That sure, Hamas was raping people, but they have to be balanced in how they talk about that so as to establish a moral equivalence between Israel and Hamas. Here is Karine Jean-Pierre refusing to condemn Jayapal on this.
1: Can I get the White House's response to... Uh, Congresswoman Jayapal's comments over the
2: weekend uh, in her interview. She said sexual violence should be condemned, but that we have to be balanced in our condemnation. Was that an appropriate comment? So, so we've
1: been very, very clear. Uh, you heard a little bit from from Jake Sullivan about this. Um, I can only speak for, for the president. Uh, that's who I can speak for. And we've been clear. What uh, Hamas did is absolutely reprehensible and full stop. We're going to continue to be clear about that. And we think about, um, you know, rape and the use of rape as being used as a, as a weapon. Uh, that is also reprehensible.
0: But why exactly won't they condemn Pramila Jayapal or, for that matter, Rashida Tlaib or, for that matter, Ilhan Omar? And the answer is because they're afraid of their left wing base. The left wing base is still governing this administration, at least at the margins. And and that left wing base is crazy. OK, Brianna Joy Gray, who is kind of a crazy person. She's the former national press secretary for Bernie Sanders. Unsurprising. She tweeted this out, quote, believe all women. She's talking about the rape of Israeli women. Believe all women it was always an absurd overreach. Women should be heard. Claims should be investigated, but evidence is required. The same is true of the allegations out of Israel. But also, this isn't a believe women scenario because no female victims have offered testimony. So, first of all, um, they were shot in the head. You know who's not around to uh, explain to you about their rape? The people who are dead because they were shot in the head or kidnapped. Those people not around to talk about it, but there are many contemporaneous accounts, witness testimony, medical reports. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because, again, the idea from the radical left is to reestablish this moral equivalence. And the Biden administration, for some reason, keeps on falling for it over and over. It's in the Democratic Party, and it's certainly in the media. Bernie Sanders yesterday did what he does best, establish that moral equivalence. He suggested that the Netanyahu government is being immoral. Now, you have to understand the coded language here. There's a bit of a code. When people on the left say the Netanyahu government, they are ignoring the fact that there is a unity government in Israel right now. Yes, Benjamin Netanyahu is the prime minister. He is part of a war cabinet. He can be overruled by that war cabinet. He's just a vote in that war cabinet. Benny Gantz is a member of the opposition party. He's the person many Democrats would like to see leading the country right now in Israel. And he's part of the government. That's a unity government. That's why Bernie keeps saying Netanyahu, because there is this bizarre notion on the left. That if Netanyahu were not there, somehow this would be going differently. Uh, It would not. It would be going exactly the same or in some in some ways, probably harsher. Netanyahu tends to be an incrementalist on a lot of this sort of stuff. Gantz and Gallant, not particularly clear that's the case. Anyway, here was Bernie yesterday doing his routine.
1: At a time when over 250 people have been killed in the West Bank. I'm not talking about Gaza, talking about the West Bank since October 7th and more than a 1,000 Palestinians have been driven off of their land in the West Bank. No, in the midst of all of that, I do not believe we should be appropriating over $10 billion for the right-wing extremist Netanyahu government to continue its current military approach. What the Netanyahu government is doing is immoral, it is in violation of international law, and the United States should not be complicit in those
0: actions. I love hearing about international law from communist fellow travelers. It's, re- it's really a-, a lot of fun. And when he talks about what's going on in the West Bank, he's ignoring the fact that there are a ton of terrorists in the West Bank. In fact, it was the amount of terrorism in the West Bank that drove Israel to, prior to October 7th, move many of its forces from the Gaza envelope right around Gaza in the lead up to October 7th, into Judea and Samaria to try and fight terrorists in places like Janine? As far as the accusation that Palestinians are being driven off their land en masse? Uh, no, the answer there is that there are a bunch of illegal Palestinian settlements that are, in fact, kind of corrugated iron shacks in many of these cases, and those are being dismantled by the Israeli military in many cases. It is amazing. If you build an extra bedroom in Efrat, which is like a really nice city in the West Bank, and is a Jewish city in the West Bank, then this means you're violating international law. If, however, you prop up a corrugated iron shack in Judea and Samaria, and you call it historic Palestinian territory, and then the IDF comes and dismantles it, then this is somehow dispossession. That's the way all of this works. In any case, this narrative is being driven by the media as well. The the narrative that Israel is engaging in vast human rights violation, despite the fact that they're engaging in more strenuous attempts to avoid civilian casualties than any army in modern history. By the way, worth noting at this point that all the casualty stats that are being repeated ad nauseum by the press are being garnered by the Gaza Ministry of Health, namely Hamas, and they are lying about all of those. This has been pointed out by an, by an account called Eisenberg 55. He's a board member of Honest Reporting. And uh, he points out that the women and children numbers from the Gaza Ministry of Health are grossly inflated, and that is perfectly obvious. So, for example, UN OCHA publishes a daily flash update since October 8th and cites detailed Gaza casualty figures provided by Hamas. It is immediately obvious that Hamas does not report any combatant deaths. The numbers amazingly seem to indicate that IDF bombs and bullets disproportionately hit women, children, and the elderly. But the numbers are fake. It first becomes apparent on October 19th reporting, where Hamas reports 3,785 deaths versus 3,478 the prior day, or an addition of 307 deaths. But children magically moved up from 853 dead to 1,524 dead, plus 671. October 18th reporting deaths were 25% kids. The next day it jumped to kids. No explanation is given. And this sort of idiocy marks every single addition of casualties. Again, it took Israel weeks and weeks to determine who was even dead in Kfar Aza. I know people who attended funerals literally yesterday for people who were killed on October 7th. And by the way, under Jewish law, once somebody is dead, you're supposed to bury them the next day. That's how long it took Israel, a highly highly technical, technocratic government to figure out how many people had died. Meanwhile, Hamas is just throwing out one million bajillion child poets being killed in Gaza and everybody taking that at face value. And that, of course, is leading members of the media to repeat that sort of nonsense. We'll get to that in just one second. First, the holidays are here. If you're looking for the perfect gift for somebody you love or even something nice for yourself, you need to check out Bond Charge. Bond Charge is a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in every way. Their extensive range of premium wellness products helps you sleep better, perform better, recover fast, reduce inflammation, and so much more. From blue light glasses to red light therapy, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. My favorite product from Bond Charge is their infrared sauna blanket. By the way, it's not just me that loves it. It's not just Brett Cooper that loves it. Uh, there, there's a, a person named Paige who's over at our house for dinner recently, and she could not stop raving about the Bond Charge blanket. I mean, really, it was like it got a little bit much. It's like 15 minutes in. We're like, you're still going on about this Bond Charge. She, she was, though. The sauna blanket insert is designed to fit inside your sauna blanket to absorb your sweat, help keep you drier, make your post-sweat session cleanup even simpler. It uses infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you like a traditional sauna, which means you get the same benefits at a lower heat. This holiday season, Bond Charge is offering a massive 25% off site-wide. Head on over to bondcharge.com, and the 25% off code will be auto-applied to your entire order. That's bondcharge.com. Hurry while it is in stock. And meanwhile, the media doing the bidding of Hamas over and over and over again. So Jig Tapper on CNN, who has been better than many of the CNN reporters, he sporadically has these interviews where he just says silly things. He had an interview with Mark Regev, who is a who is a spokesperson for the Israeli government, in which he points out that a bunch of members of a family of a CNN producer had been killed in Gaza. And Regev points out that there were like weeks and months of Israel telling people to get out of the Gaza Strip and millions of people did. And Tapper then says, well, you can't blame people who, who didn't. Well, I mean you certainly can point out that they had warning and they didn't get out of a war zone when millions of people literally did. Like over a million people moved. Here was this exchange.
2: It's very hard to believe that, especially on a day when one of our producers lost nine members of his family, nine members of his family who were not members of Hamas, not members of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, not members of any group, just nine people just trying to live their lives.
1: First of all, I I extend my sorrow to him and my sympathies. But if I saw your report correctly, and and please correct me if I say something wrong, that happened in northern Gaza, uh, in Gaza City, where a month ago we already asked all the civilians to leave. And most of them did. If there was like 1,200,000 people there, there was only a couple of tens of thousands left. And one has to ask, yes? They had ample opportunity to leave. I don't know what happened. I don't have the specific circumstances. I know there's deadly combat going on now in the north still between these IDF and, 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 and Hamas terrorists, yes? And we don't want to see anyone caught up in the crossfire, but why didn't they heed the advice oh, and leave the blame. area? You
2: can't had, blame them. There's now I don't fighting, blame them. But you can't, there's fighting in the South now. You know, where, where are, I mean, I've been asking this since October 7th, where are these people supposed to
0: go? They did go. They did go. A million of them moved. They're supposed to go to the areas that Israel tells them to go to doesn't mean perfect security it means a hell of a lot better security than staying where Israel is telling you not to be. Again, but but CNN's idea, which is that somehow if Israel gives weeks of warning, then people don't move, that somehow it, what what exactly was Israel supposed to do? I'm just wondering. Everybody seems to think that Israel has a magic Jew laser. It's amazing. All the same people who are pissed off at Marjorie Taylor Greene with her silly Jewish space laser stuff seem to think the Jews actually have a space laser in Israel and they can use their magic space laser to just hit the bad guys while leaving all of the normies sort of untouched. That is not the way war works. And when you go out of your way to tell people to leave for weeks on end and then they don't, it's not that it's, quote unquote, their fault. It is that they are in a dangerous area. They have been told to leave. ABC News doing the same sort of moral equivalence nonsense. So ABC News did a full report on the supposed maltreatment of Palestinian, quote unquote, detainees. Now, these detainees are people who tried to commit acts of terror against Israelis. And the idea here is that Israel, it's just like hostages. Uh, No, it isn't. My concern
2: is that the Israeli authorities are not treating Palestinian children like children. I don't think that anybody can claim that locking up large numbers of children for long periods of time is either just or helpful. Beyond that, the law is also different for Palestinians and Israelis. Palestinians living in the West Bank are tried in military courts. Israeli settlers illegally living there are tried in civil court. An Israeli child in a settlement next to a Palestinian village throws a stone. That child is tried under the Israeli system. A Palestinian child in the village next door who throws the same stone is subject to a military court system. Pre-trial detention is the norm.
0: Well, hold up a second. That's because the Palestinians are living under the Palestinian authority. They're a foreign population in terms of actual governance. That is like saying that when, a, that when a crime is committed against an American soldier overseas, that person is tried in military court as opposed to an American civil court. Well, yes, that's, yes. Okay, but again, the whole goal here is to try and generate some sort of moral equivalence between Israel and its enemies here. And this is, this is the whole shtick. This is the whole shtick. Here's the bottom line for, for Joe Biden. The entire confused moral line taken by Joe Biden is likely to result in no victory for Joe Biden, because even if Israel gets done what it needs to do in the face of American pressure, the Biden administration is now making it impossible for it to claim any sort of victory in all of this. Speaking of which, victory in the generalized area seems to be difficult to come by for a U.S. administration that is focused on basically appeasing Iran. According to Politico, an hours long firefight involving U.S. commercial vessels in the Red Sea this weekend has left some U.S. officials Frustrated by what they see as the Biden administration's deliberate downplaying of a major threat to American forces. A U.S. Navy warship scrambled to respond to multiple distress calls on Sunday as Houthi rebels in Yemen launched missiles and drones against three separate commercial vehicles. The USS Kearney fired back, taking down three unmanned aerial systems. Four other officials with knowledge of the discussion said in interviews, U.S. naval forces are clearly under threat in the Red Sea and the Persian Gulf. One DOD official said, quote, if our ships see something is coming near them or toward them, they're going to assess it as a threat and shoot it down. You'd be hard-pressed to find another time that U.S. ships have been this challenged in the region. And yet, again, U.S. officials are downplaying this and pretending that it is not Iran or it is not part of a broader effort against U.S. forces. Some DOD officials have said explicitly the increase in attacks on commercial shipping is an escalation. The U.S. has retaliated against dozens of attacks by Iranian proxies in Iraq or Syria in recent weeks, including striking facilities used by the militants in both of those countries, in Iraq and Syria. But you know what the United States is not doing is striking any targets inside Iran where this is coming from. Now, let me just point out, if, Do- if Donald Trump were president right now, there would have been a missile flying into Iran, Iran, not because Donald Trump would want to provoke some sort of broader war with Iran, but because the threat to the Iranians would be clear. Stop this right now. Stop it right now. And you know what would happen? The Iranians would stop because you know what they don't actually want to be at war with the United States of America. That's something Iran seriously does not want. But the power of American deterrence is basically gone at this point. According to Politico, U.S. officials are frustrated by the Biden administration's response to the attacks. The power of deterrence is going away. Former national security official said the Biden administration needs to do more to deter the Houthis from attacking ships in the Red Sea and other Iran-backed groups from launching additional attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. Retired Vice Admiral John Miller, former commander of U.S. Fifth Fleet, said we're not taking this seriously. He said we're not deterring anybody right now. Does that sound like a victorious White House to you? All coming up, we'll be joined by Jake Crane of the Crane Boys on Crane & Company on DW+. He's one of the stars of our new original movie, Lady Balls. We're going to be talking about this insane NCAA playoff that is not going to allow an unbeaten Florida State. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First.